So our title this morning is, When Our Prayers Have No Words. When Our Prayers Have No Words. So Father, I thank you to be found in this house this morning. God, we thank you that, Lord, what we have witnessed before us this morning, that mass exodus, God, if you like, it's the future. Lord, it's, the, it's both the present and the next generation. And Lord, we thank you, God, for, for the privilege, God, and, and Lord, the position in which you've placed us in of trust, God, to teach that generation, God, the truths of your word, to teach them how to be men and women of God, Lord. What, a, what an honor it is as a church, God, to be overflowing, Lord, in them departments, Lord, of, of our youth and of our children, God. We, we give you thanks this morning. And we praise you, God, that we can say, Lord, that out of the barrenness, God, we can see life and fruit. That's the work of the Spirit, God, both in a life and in a nation and in a church, God. So, Father, I pray as we, Lord, come around the Word, as we consider Hannah this morning, Lord, a woman who knew barrenness in her life. She knew what it was to weep and to be mocked, to be taunted, to, to be told that God doesn't hear her cries or, and certainly doesn't answer them. Lord, we, we, we thank you that your Word reminds us, Lord, that despite the coldness and the darkness that surrounds us, for those who seek the Lord, that he will guide their steps. That, Lord, your word is a lamp, Lord, onto our feet, God. We, we thank you for the people who choose to seek God in the dark season, God, that you will be faithful, Lord, and bring them through the barrenness, God. And in fact, their lives will bring life to those around them. Lord, I pray that would be the case for each of us, Father. That, Lord, our lives wouldn't be barren. Lord, our faith wouldn't be dead. That, Lord, we would see things happening in our workplaces, in our schools, in our jobs. Lord, in our homes, in our marriages, God, in our own hearts, in the lives of our children. That, Lord, we would see life. Lord, because that's what your word promises. So, God, I pray you over each person this morning, young and old, God, that we would hear a fresh view, that you would speak into our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. If you're taking notes this morning, there's going to be some of the themes that I've, that I've seen, but not necessarily speaking on, but there's these things that, that I've seen coming out as I've looked at this chapter with Hannah. One of them themes is surrender. It's what we've been singing about this morning. It wasn't, it wasn't um, fabricated. It was just how it was. And the words that Julie spoke, it was just how it was about, about making the decision to fully surrender. And that's what Hannah did. And, and there's this other undercurrent that, that I believe that I'm to bring to you this morning and as Christians, that, that we realize again the power of prayer in our lives. That we realize that there is power in prayer, and Scripture teaches us that. And that in that, we need to rediscover the art of handing everything over to God. Everything over to God. And that's some of the themes that's come out for us this morning. Let us read together 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through to 18 this morning. In my Bible, it's entitled Hannah's Vow. In verse 8. I'm going to start from, sorry. <clears throat> then Elkanah, her husband, said to Hannah, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is it your heart is grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Verse 9, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting by the seat, on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, Lord, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. 
Verse 12, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. Verse 15, But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine or intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. And then Eli said to her, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition in which you have asked of him. In verse 18, a lovely verse, and Hannah says, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight, and so the woman went her, her way, and she ate, and her face was no longer sad. Some says her countenance was no longer down. Amen. The book of Samuel covers the time of what's known as the judges. It brings about the end of the ruling judges, if you like, and it ushers in the first monarchy, King Saul. What we see and what we're going to see in the weeks ahead, that there's a transition of leadership uh, from Eli, who's the high priest, on to Samuel, who's yet to be born. Then from Samuel, who is actually the last of the judges, to King Saul, who becomes the first king of Israel. And then in the book of Samuel, we see the transition from King Saul to King David. So it's quite an interesting journey that we're about to embark on. But what we already pulled out last week and what we know about the book of Samuel in the time of the judges is it was a dark time in Israel's history, in Hannah's day specifically. And God was about to do a new thing. That's the beauty of it. And perhaps you find yourself in a dark place in your life, and you're wondering where the fruitfulness is. And you have to understand in Scripture, whenever there's a great darkness around the people of God, more often than not, it's just before God does a new thing. It's before He changes something for the great and the good. And you never see it, and you never think it's going to be possible in your life. But that's the God that we serve. And so that's the context. It's God is about to do a new thing. He's about to bring back joy into the hearts of God's people, to restore the priesthood, to raise up a prophet that the Word of God would yet again be heard within the land. But what sets us free only the Word of God? What encourages our inner man? It's the preaching of the Word of God, the truth of it. And Israel had a time where the Word was rare. There was no prophet in the land, if you like. Now, Hannah in her life, she's surrounded in barrenness. But she has this stirring within her. I want you to see this. Her soul is in anguish. And she, she, she came to God for help. And one thing that pops out to me is that she was so broken in this time of her life that words just simply failed her. She didn't have the words to say. Ha, but, but Hannah carried within her, I believe, a sense that God had more for her life. And perhaps that's you this morning. There's this sense that God has just more for you, that, that He's not finished with you yet, that there's, you just know, but you just don't know how or how it's going to be realized in your life, but there's more for you. But all Hannah can see here in her life is, is this barrenness. Now, for Hannah, she was unable, unable to con conceive a child. That was her barrenness. The fruitfulness of her wombs was closed, and she was being taunted and mocked, and this was a great shame for her in her day. But Hannah knew that she was destined to bring new life into the world. She couldn't testify in person, but she knew within her 
that God had, had promised for her life, that, that she would bring life into this world and she would make a difference. And, and I believe that's in the heart of the church. We know we're called to more, and we can get caught up in the wrong things, and we can be told and, and lies spoken over our life, but, but the Word always brings out that for the church there's more. God has greater things for us to do in this world. And Hannah knew this within her. We're told that Hannah and her family worshipped at, at Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was. And it was a time of feasting and celebrating, if you like, unto the Lord. But, but in that, what we see is Penina mocked and taunted her about her barrenness. And this is what I see. It was like every time Hannah prayed, you think about this, Penina was behind her, telling her and mocking her and saying that God doesn't hear your prayer, he doesn't answer your prayer, look at you. You're barren. You're surrounded with all this life and you, each year we come here and each year you're born, you have nothing to give and your husband gives you a wee double portion of the offering just to make you feel good. And, but, but God doesn't answer your prayer. And, and what I see here, what I brought out last week is Satan can be seen all over Penina's actions and motives. It's not that she's Satan, but it's the influence that she's been, been to this home when, when Elkanah brought her in. She sows doubt and she mocks and she raves just as Satan does to the church. And, and Hannah here is in deep anguish. And in verse 8, if you notice, her husband tries to comfort her. He says to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you eat and why are you so grieved within yourself? You see, there will be seasons when we will experience this type of sorrow as Christians, as people. And you know something? Thank God, church, that the Scripture records for us the reality of hardships, that it's not some fantasy life promised now that we may have to face in this world. There's hardships. But God never leaves his church in the wilderness, wandering around lost and broken. He causes her to rise up and to press on. And we see this in verse 9. Now, look at verse 9, because here I see there's a prompting of God in Hannah's life. And notice the first few words, depending on your translation, mine, the New King James Version, says this, so Hannah arose, so Hannah arose. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah arose. You see it in different translations, it's there. Mine simply says, starting off, Hannah arose. And you know, there's something in this verse that de demands our attention. It's as if without verse 2, the, way, the rest of the story isn't going to take place. You need to hear this. This could be your life. This could be your future. It could be on hold. There could be things in your life, your mindset, the place where you've called home within yourself, and it's not your home. And, and this, this is something that maybe you and I need to hear. Hannah arose. There's something here that if she didn't act at this point of her life, the rest of the story might not have happened. For example, what if Hannah just stayed there in the place of barrenness? What we see, Hannah, with, I believe, the prompting of God's spirit within her, she rises up from the place of barrenness. And what does she do? She doesn't try to fix it herself. She seeks God. See, the church can't stay in the place of barrenness because she doesn't belong there. She's been saved and pulled out of that darkness into this wonderful light. She doesn't belong there, but we have a tendency to stay there in our minds to stay there and let the old voices that, that told us that we have no worth, to tell us that we have no future, 
that we're destined just barrenness. And we, we can bring that culture into our life, as we've seen with Elkanah last week. But Hannah knew that she was destined to bring this new life into Israel. And she just sensed there was something more that just hadn't been realized in her life. And this left a void, a stirring and a longing. Now look at verse 8 again, because there's a void here that Elkanah tries to fill in Hannah's life. Now, last week I brought out Elkanah's heart, but there's also the other side to it where he says, am I not better to you than ten sons? This was a man who loved his wife, and he was trying to pacify and encourage and, and trying just to get her to be, to be comfortable with her lot, if you like. And sometimes the world speaks like that. Listen, just be thankful. Just be thankful for your lot. Stay where you are, and just, you know, God's placed you in this position. And, and maybe that's not always true. Am I not better to you than ten sons? You see, when there's a calling on your life, church, there's nothing but that calling will satisfy your longing. That's just the way it is. There's nothing will satisfy that. If God is calling you to something, nothing will satisfy it. Hannah could not be comforted in this because something within her told her, God has more for my life. She was destined to bring new life into the world. I want to say this too. It's important we, we step back and look at the bigger picture because Hannah's barrenness is a picture of Israel's barrenness. And what God is about to do for Hannah, he in fact is about to do for the whole of the nation, the kingdom of Israel. A prophet is going to rise up. Reform's going to come and it's going to be steadied. You see? And the Lord's going to rule the nation again through his prophet, through the word. And times of refreshing were on their way. Amen. And that's what God wants for your life. Times of refreshing. Not constantly kicking against the wall to, to try and survive in your faith. There's an abundance in the Christian life. The barrenness isn't the last word. It's there, but it's not the last word. There's times of refreshing promise to the churches in the scriptures. You know, there are times in our lives we just know at this moment God is calling us to something bigger something deeper within us. We know we're called to be fruitful, as the Scripture tells us. We know that we, as believers, ought to be bringing new life into our homes and into our community, but that's not always realized for us. What happens when we, we find ourselves at war in our homes? What happens when we look at our community and we despise it? We have people in our life and we look at them and we don't want to look at them. You see, there's this barrenness of the carnal man, but that's not the, the, the abundance that's promised to the church. All around us is this barrenness, but we are called to be fruitful among it, and so was Hannah. But Jesus says to his church in 1010, he says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Now, that speaks of abundance. Abundance. It speaks of promise. It speaks of overflowing. It speaks of blessing. It doesn't speak of barrenness. Not one bit of that tells you and I that we're to sit in the place of barrenness, the place of mocking the place where our life has absolutely no purpose. Get educated, get a job, get into the rat race, try and save money that when we're half hanging together, we'll have something to live on. That's not it. That's the system of the world. Come on. Why is it we are told that give all your good years to the world and then if there's anything left, and by the time I get the pension age, it'll be 114, because they keep moving it. Come on, what about living now? What if that's the story? And God says, I'll provide. Did he not tell the church to leave their money bags at home when he sent them? Now there's one. 
but Lord, I have to eat. Well, you don't look like somebody starving to me. You see? Isn't that it? Because why did they not send, bring money with them? Because this holds us back. I don't call money my God, but I'll tell you one thing. It's got a great dictatorship over my life. And yours. But this verse, Jesus says, listen, there's a promise of overflowing in your life. And I believe we have to go after this in life, this new life. Now, this is not a gospel of works, but listen to me. I believe we have to go after this new life. That we have a small part to play in this promise, as Hannah did. Because what did Hannah do? She rose from her barren position and she sought God. This story, it challenges us to rediscover the power of prayer to bring life to our homes, to our marriages, and to our nation. I want to share something with you. I recall a time not that long ago where barrenness in my life threatened everything that I ever hoped to be as a man, as a man of God, in every area of my life. It was something that if God didn't do something, everything would change for, for Julianne and I. It really was a time where we couldn't see a way forward. Just to put it like this, things needed to change in our lives. And I couldn't see how that change was going to come about. But one day I felt a deep unrest within my soul. And it lasted for days, perhaps weeks, I don't know. All I do, do know is that I couldn't be comforted within myself. I knew that God had bigger plans than, than what I was experiencing. And there were things in my life, things in me and things around me, that I just didn't, didn't like. I became agitated, irrational, angry and bitter. I know that's not how men are meant to be, by the way. Cases are thinking women. We're not meant to be like that. And especially when you have a calling on your life, as we do. <clears throat> I just knew God had more for my life from what I was experiencing around me. And I prayed, now, this is going to sound contradictory, but I don't care, because I'm going to tell you the truth. I prayed perhaps like I, not as I normally pray, because sometimes prayers can be fickle, but I really prayed this time. I had a real sense of I, I was just given this completely, 100% over to God because if he didn't move church, I can't share with you what this is, but understand and listen, everything was about to change for us. And if God didn't move, and I remember saying, I'm given this, Lord, because I want to be able to stand before you and say, I give this to you and, and it didn't work and nothing changed. And if you don't fix this, I can do no more. I tried. That's the truth. That's where I come to. Now, this is not a, a fairy story or a, a Bible or a preacher's story to add a bit of something. This is just reality. And over the next days, something shifted within me. And things began to change. And Julianne's here, and she can testify to this. This is not a story. It's a private story, but it's not. I can't share detail, but I can share the story. But we both felt this shift. And we knew that somehow God had done something. We knew he'd answered this prayer. And in the kitchen, I went in to speak to Judah when I had realized this, and we talked about it. We both recognized that this had, something had changed, you see. And we just give thanks, and we acknowledge that there was a change. But our situation changed, church, and our joy was restored. And God fixed something in our lives that nobody else could. And we entered what I call a new season in our life, in our ministry, in our marriage, in all them areas, you see. 
But I had to come to that place where I was sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit upon me that caused me to rise up and to seek the Lord with it, you see. And that's what I mean we perhaps need to rediscover the power of coming to God with this, with our, with our problems, with, a, with, a, with anguish in our, in our souls, with a sense of, God, if you don't move in this, it's finished, you see. Perhaps you need to do the same today in your life. I don't know, but I was led to share that. Maybe that's your life. You're stuck, and everything around it's broken. But, but you know that you're of God, and there's more for you. And you know that if God doesn't move soon, it's over for you. You see, that's the reality of what I'm sharing about. And I've seen this with Hannah. Don't think for one minute that Hannah was just going to carry on. This was a, this was a point of no return for Hannah. God needed to step in or she was finished. And listen, the prophet would not have come. And that brings us back to verse 2, Hannah arose. You know, sometimes God needs to bring us to that place where we're on our knees again, where we're so broken that we do not do anything but say, God, if you don't move in me, it's finished. It's in them times that we learn to give it all over to God. And He causes us to rise up and run toward him. That's the beauty of verse 2. There was a prompting in, in Hannah. Me and you have not within us to run to God. We want to run away, fix it ourselves. But it's in these places where, where God causes us to run to him. And here's the thing. Some Christians remain in the place of barrenness for far too long. They make one bad decision after another, and they develop a type of victim mentality. I've come across this many times, and you will have too if you look at it closely. Because there's a type of comfort that comes from being a victim. I've lived there before. Do you know who, who was I blaming for all my mistakes? My, my father and, and my mother and my family. My, circum, my poor circumstances as a child. Even though I had many hardships, I was a privileged boy. I had love in my home. It was broken, but I had love. I, I had food on the table. I had clothes on my back. We celebrated Christmas with at least one toy, you see. I was privileged, but, but somewhere along the way, I realized that I was a victim. I was a victim of my father's bad decisions and because of what he's done to me. Well, this is why I act and live like this, and we can be like that. There's comfort in it. You know why there's comfort? Because I don't have to take responsibility for my life because it's my father's fault. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I had to face. It's a victim mentality, you see, and and there's comfort, and we blame others for our bad lifestyle choices, and we never really take responsibility if we live there. Our actions are bad, and we don't want to say it's our actions. We let people down, and we don't want to take responsibility for letting people down, but that's the, that's the crux of it. But the people of God are called to this abundance life in Christ, and that doesn't mean that we remain seated in our barrenness. It means we need to change our thinking and our actions and our deeds. Listen, listen to this. When we were born, we were born into a certain culture, weren't we? A certain way of thinking. Listen, when we're born again, we entered into a new kingdom and a new culture. We must renew our minds with the truth of God's Word, not our traditions. We need to step up and step out of some things, and especially carnal thinking. This type of mental prison, if we like to live like a victim, we will never and you will never rise up and fulfill God's purposes in your life promise you that. 
If you're saved, God's got a promise and a future for your life. If you're in a victim mentality this morning, that is never going to be realized for you. He will try and he'll prompt and he'll put people in your life, but until you realize that there's, you need to put steps, and Hannah rose up and she put steps to her face, and here is this woman rediscovering yet again for herself the power of prayer and the art of handing everything over to God again as Father Abraham did, the father of the nation. He went into a land that he didn't even know where he was going. He believed God, you see, for his life. And Hannah made her way to the tabernacle. She sees this backslidden priest sitting by the doorpost. And she begins to pray. You know what I see there? She's not worried who's looking on. Some of you have never went deeper for the Lord because you're afraid to make a step. You look vulnerable. You, know, you look like weakness. Make a stand for the Lord. This pride, if there was some within her, left her. She's not worried who's looking at her, who sees her. She doesn't care about the darkness around her. She knows the backslidden state of the priesthood. She doesn't care. She seeks after God. You see, there's no victim mentality. She can't say, well, the priest is backslidden. His sons are, are male prostitutes. Where can I go to seek God? She, she seeks God, you see. She's not blaming her circumstances. She's not looking around her and saying, well, where can I go from here? And here it begins to shift for Hannah, verse 12 and 13. As she continued to pray, Eli watched her mouth. And as she prayed, her mouth moved, but there was no words. And there will be times that we'll be sat before the Lord, church. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there. That all we can produce is tears. Our words fail us. There's a sense that, God, if you don't move, I'm dead. I'm over. There will be times that will happen to us. But I believe there's breakthrough that comes when there's tears flow. There's something in it. When we come to that place where we simply just can't pray, because there's nothing to say. Honest prayers begin to arise within us when we're in that place. You know how? Because Romans 8, 26 tells us that when we're in that place where we can't pray, I believe there's honest, true prayers come forth. Romans 8, 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know how to pray, listen, the Spirit himself within us intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know what that tells me? It tells me that when Hannah had no words, the spirit within Hannah began to pray on her behalf for her. What a wonderful truth, church, when our prayers are nothing but, but groanings and tears, the spirit within us begins to pray for us. You know what this tells me? That some of your greatest prayers happened when you were unable to speak a word. And the real turning point comes for Hannah, and there's some warning in this, as it takes place in verse 11. Hannah makes a vow before the Lord, and Julie spoke about some of you need to make a decision this morning. Are you living for God, or what are you doing, is the type of thing. Do you want Him to use you? Do you want to be serious about this? Perhaps you're somebody that's saying today that, look at the state of the church today. Where can I go to, where I can hear God? Where can I go where the Word's taught, and there's true men and women of God? Where could Hannah go? where there was men and women of God. Where could she find solace? There was none. The, the tabernacle was corrupted. It was fallen. It was backslidden. It was pagan. There was no faith in it. Where did she go? She went to the Lord. She went straight to the Lord, and she made a vow to the Lord. And, and Hannah says, Lord, 
If you will indeed look on in the affliction of your maidservant, now maidservant, it speaks to everything, humility. It's humility, it's humble, it's everything about it. I'm your servant, you're my master. It's, that's, understand that word's there for a reason. I'm sorry, three times. The affliction of your maidservant, and remember me. Uh, not forget your maidservant, but you will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razors will come upon his head. Now, it's easy to miss the depth of this, and the commitment, and the seriousness of this prayer. This is a prayer of sacrifice. Listen, it's a prayer of receiving, but it's also a prayer of giving. Give me a son, Lord, and I'll return him back to you. Do you know there's some prayers in the Bible that won't be answered? You ever heard of the selfish prayer? It's the very opposite of Hannah's. It's found in James 4 and 3. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend it all in your own pleasure. You know, there are some prayers, church, that stand to benefit us more than the kingdom. Let's be honest. Then there's another type of prayer that will not be answered. It's called the doubting prayer. James 1, 6 says, But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea. He's driven and tossed about. He's all over the place. And he should never expect to receive his prayer. Request. The selfish prayer, the doubting prayer, these prayers go unanswered. But then there's a, a type of Hannah prayer. And that's just a prayer we need to rediscover. I need to rediscover as much. This prayer comes from a believing heart. It's not shrouded in doubt. It doesn't care who's listening. It's not for personal pleasure only, but there is gain in it. But it's for the good of the kingdom of God. And Hannah says, God, if you answer my prayer and you make me fruitful in this land, I will give it all back to you into your kingdom. That's what I say. Church, we need to get to that place again where we give back to God. Where it's about Him again. That we become kingdom-minded again. And we rise up to, and function as priests and priestess and we, we put our hand to the plow where God has called us and we give back. That's what it is to give back to the kingdom. It's put your hand to the plow and be faithful in where God has called you and placed you. And Hannah in her prayer, she's making a vow, give me Lord and I will give you back. And this vow is known as the Nazarite vow. I don't want to go into too much but I'll say this, it symbolizes the life that's set apart by the Lord, for the Lord. Uh, parents often do this with their kids. It's why we do dedication, in one sense. In the Old Testament, for instance, Samuel and Samson, their parents set them apart as children for the with the Nazarite vow. Um, in the New Testament, John the Baptist was set apart by Elizabeth and John for, as a, with this Nazarite vow for service. And you see what happened with these men. If you dedicate your child unto the Lord, don't be surprised if he uses them to bring word into this barren land that they live. Don't break your heart if they want to be missionaries. Because I can tell you, some of our children mentioned missionaries one time and it broke my heart. Because I knew it was ahead for them, hardship. Endless hours of work with very little fruit. Threat of death. Poverty in this world. You see? But don't be surprised if we dedicate our, our lives and our children's lives to the Lord if He uses them. This vow meant you abstain from wine and certain foods and no cutting of her. And we see that, Hannah says, as a sign, a razor will never touch his head. But I want to say this very quickly, and we're coming in to finish here. Be careful when we make vows. I want to say that. Don't make deals that we can't honor, we can't pay. These vows in Scripture were made by serious God-fearing people, people who honored and weighed their, their vows. And if God blesses me with a son, Hannah says, I will give him back to you in the work of the ministry. And that's what she did. We'll see that. 
Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 8, take that down, says, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in repaying it. He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Don't let your speech sin. Be careful when we make vows and what we pray. Wear them up and understand our prayers carry weight. The psalmist says, 76 verse 11, make vows unto the Lord, your God, and fulfill them. But I want you to notice something as we press on. As Hannah prayed, weeping in anguish before the Lord, the high priest, Eli, thought she was drunk. And there's nothing worse, church, than a drunk woman. She's loud. She's loud. Drunk men cry. Drunk women talk. Some cry. Eli thought she was drunk. Now, this shows you, church, what church was like in them days. You don't perhaps appreciate or, 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 or value the godly people in your life until they're not there, you see. Many people don't value a Christian influence until it's not there. Education systems, slave trade, university, the right to free health care was all burst through what? Christians. Look what's taken over today, greed. It's soon going to be that if you have not got insurance, you're going to die at the doorstep of your doctors. That's what the world does when you take Christianity out of it. Eli thought this woman was drunk. Meaningful prayer, church, had become so uncommon that Eli was unable to even recognize what it was. That's something. God help us, church, if we, in our watch, allow prayer to become so unrecognizable that our children think we're off our head when we're weeping and we're praying to the Lord that's where sin takes the church. Oh, but pastor, don't be person prayers. I know it's the last thing sometimes we want to do because we have to stop, submit, be quiet, listen. It's good for us though. I thank God for the nights of prayer that we're having, been having and the mission prayer up in that room, some of the great nights, church, that we had and are going to have. And I want to encourage you to familiarize yourself with the different nights that we have in this church and try and aim to be present at some of them for yourself, for yourself. Make a vow to the Lord. Eli thought Hannah was out of her mind. Such was the, the scarcity of prayer, meaningful prayer. But she cracks him and she Hannah blesses her, or, or Eli blesses her. He says, go in peace and may God grant your petition. You see? There was nobody believed that Hannah's barrenness was ever going to be fruitful. Nobody believed that God was even listening to prayers in them days. It was so dark and cold. Hannah believed. And Hannah left that day, listen, with a renewed countenance and a fresh hunger to eat. Now, the prayer wasn't answered till a time later, but there was something shifted. Remember I said there was something shifted in here that I knew there, there, was, there was a breakthrough. But it wasn't realized in our lives yet. Something shifted in Hannah that it hadn't been realized that, but she left there rejoicing. She had met with God, and, and God had touched her very soul. And he can touch your soul today, church. Church, let us rediscover the art of handing everything over to God again. Re realizing the power of prayer 
in our own lives, in our marriages, in our nation. Do you wonder why your nation's wrecked? Perhaps your marriage is wrecked this morning. Think about it. Give back to God again. Church, what, why don't we begin, if we're not, what about being generous in the things of God again? We say, you know, Lord, I'm available. I'm willing. Some of you What a challenge. What a demand. What a responsibility. What an honor, though. Give back to God again. Be generous. Because prayer has the power to turn our barrenness into fruitfulness.